80% of adults have herpes. Congenital syphilis in babies. What, the gays are giving it to pregnant women? No, we're gay. Yeah, so you're like the popular kid if you do. Hi, Alex. Thank you so much for coming back on the show. This is his second time on, and if you didn't catch our first podcast, Alex is a third-year med student in Detroit. He was living and dating in Chicago, and today he's here to tell us all about STIs. So, Alex, tell us a little bit about STIs in the world of COVID. So from what I've heard, because I actually just did my OB-GYN rotation, I volunteered a lot at, um, you know, an STI clinic in Detroit. I've also worked at um, Howard Brown in Chicago, which did some volunteering there. Um, done like a lot of like booth work at like a lot of like, you know, events trying to like, you know, do the whole handout condom thing. Yeah. Try to people on STIs. But something I actually heard recently from a couple patients is that they were afraid to go to the doctor to get their normal routine STI testing in fears of contracting COVID from, you know, from going to the doctor because, you know, people go to the doctor when they're sick. So, you know, COVID's a thing right now. And why would you want to go put yourself at risk where you know someone with COVID has been recently? Right. And you mentioned it was a normal routine. So how often is a normal routine STI check? Like when would you recommend that someone go in if they're sexually active? So, I mean, it's probably not really realistic to say this, but, you know, whenever you have a new partner okay. is when, I, like, you know, a medical professional would kind of recommend it. Um, but we know that that's not always the case. Um, so, you know, if you're sexually active with multiple partners, I'd say, you know, every three months um, is like one of the recommendations that I've seen. Um, definitely for HIV testing. Um, but the other thing is like some STIs take a little while to show up, right? So there's that incubation period where you have to wait. Um, it's again, STI dependent. Certain STIs we don't really have good testing for. There's a lot of false negatives. Um, just the list goes on and on. You know, I didn't think about getting an STI check is the same as self-care. So whenever you're going to do your regular self-care routine, whatever that is for you, if it's like a fun day out or massage or whatever, self or a self-care is also regular STI checks, right? This is something that can completely really hurt us. So just making it even a part of your regular routine, if you're out there dating and being sexually active with different partners, even if you're using even if you still are using protection, you know, going and getting those. So what STI are you seeing on the rise right now? So first off, I love your attitude on like <laughs> how you said self-check. However, you know, it's kind of invasive. You're getting swabs down your throat, up your urethra, and pretty much any and every orifice that you've had some sort of penetration, right? And it's kind of uncomfortable. And then the other thing is you have to also tell this doctor who, you know, doctors are people too. We have judgments. And as much as we try not to, there's some that will let them show. And, you know, I think that really deters people. But what I think is important is for people to remember that, you know, you can be judged by whoever for whatever for your skin color for your gender and you know what there's always going to be someone to look down on you but realistically this is about you and you being healthy because there are so many horrible consequences of stis for example like pid which is public 
uh, pelvic inflammatory disease um, can really make it so you're infertile. So if you ever wanted to have a kid with a future partner, you know, you're not going to be able to. And these are horrible consequences. And some of these STIs are asymptomatic. So what you were saying with routine care, extremely important. Just get it done, please. <laughs> like we, Like doctors would rather have you come in if you think there's a problem than feel that judgment. At least the vast majority that I've worked with, I've seen zero judgments. And I understand that perceived judgments are still a thing though. Yeah, and I, I think there is a different, there can be these judgments when we go to different places, whether you're going to your primary care doctor, maybe that you don't know very well, or even, even a clinic. I know like the University of Miami, you know, they really promote this. So they make it very easy for you. Very easy to get an appointment. Um, I don't even think you had to pay for it, but you know, you kind of go in and the culture was very easy. There were many chairs lined up. So you didn't have to feel like you were the only person that ever did this. And I even see on 95, which is a really major highway here in Miami and mm -hmm. giant signs about, you know, get your STI check and they look really cool and inviting. So I think the, it can be like the culture in what city you're in as well. Right. No, exactly. Um, so, but you asked previously, what STIs am I seeing on the rise? Um, so before we talked about like LGBT issues, so I'd say like LGBT and like HPV is a big one. Um, so I don't know, um, something like 90% of people by the time they're 40 are exposed to HPV. Um, luckily, your body clears, like 90% of people, their body clears the infection spontaneously within two years. However, you know, it progresses to cervical cancer, progresses to all of these things. And I'd say LGBT medicine is a little bit behind because like only, I've only found like three or four places in the Midwest that do anal pap smears, even though anal HPV is, um, or anal cancers are really on the rise in gay men um, and they're not being treated. And what I think other people need to also recognize is you can have um, anal HPV without ever having insertive anal sex. So even heterosexual men can get it. And then the other thing it can cause is throat cancer. So, I mean, if you're offered that vaccine, I don't see a reason to not get it. Okay. And is um, an anal pap something that you'd have to request separately? Like if, you know, women, we have to go in for our routine pap smear, but you know what? I've never had a doctor offer me. An anal pap smear. So um, they're only really offered to really high risk groups. So, um, you know, even if you go on Planned Parenthood's websites, I know the uh, Colorado and Arizona, because I did some research onto this or into this. Um, and Colorado and Arizona were both like recommending um, the same guidelines that females have. So, like, every three years getting an anal pap if you're like a sexually active male with multiple partners, um, not using protection. Yet, none of the Planned Parenthood clinics offer anal paps. Uh -huh. um, so, and yes, it's definitely something you have to ask for. Um, it's not something that anyone's going to give you. I don't know of any primary care physicians in Chicago or um, Detroit that offer it. I know Howard Brown offers it, but they really only recommend it to HIV positive males. Um, 
Yeah, it's like, and like I said, it's just because the guidelines are so far behind, but there was a research study that was published in the early 2010s that showed that it was cost effective, just like female paps, yet they're still not being offered. And I think the awareness isn't even out there, really. Yeah, I mean, I was kind of shocked. And, you know, this is my third year of medical school that I'm really just finding out about this. Right, right. I think the it's like, one, even getting this awareness out there. And then, you know, as a patient, we have to be our best advocate. So even not expecting our doctor to be the one to take the best care of it, us, but us being aware and having to ask them. Right. I want to ask you about like STIs in the GLBT community mm-hmm. and the culture. You know, here in, in Miami, uh, I think being in a big city, it, it's something like STIs are something that we talk about a little bit more. Like I'm saying, you know, we see it on billboards and I know my friends and I like talking about just kind of getting these routine STIs. But tell me about like STIs in the GLBT community. Um. So from what I've seen, um, it's, as I mentioned before, like um, in the previous podcast, there's like, you know, some people in the LGBT community that really value monogamy and others that really value, you know, being open, exploring their desires sexually. And um, there was one study that I was looking at that was saying um, only about the major rise in STIs in the gay community since the release of PrEP, which is the pre-exposure prophylaxis for HIV, so like Descovia and Truvada, those two drugs, um, there was a major rise in STIs about by 30-ish percent. And ironically, this giant increase was only seen in about 28% of community. So this 28% of the community was accounting for this large rise in STIs and not necessarily representative of the community as a whole. Um, But going off of that, um, just rise in STIs with PrEP, um, but there's also been a rise in almost every STI across the board in the across the world too um britain is like you know because i was like reading the british studies because they're kind of interesting they are. Um, <laughs> yeah. so i was like but in the states it's like we had um you know a 413 percent rise in syphilis in the last couple um in the last decade or so And this was since 2008, but in 2000, they were thinking syphilis was going to be eradicated in a couple of years. So um, it's really interesting. And they were pointing fingers that, you know, the 2008 recession is kind of to blame for this solely because um, with budget cuts with the recession, they kind of cut a lot of state health funding because they're like, oh, STDs are falling. We don't really need, this isn't that big of an issue. We don't need to be advertising and giving everyone all these tests. And then lo and behold, we're having this major surge of pretty much every STI. And then to double up with that, now we're developing STIs with antibiotic resistance. Right, right. Which is very, very scary. So are you seeing condoms, you know, dental dams, things like that? all protective measures being more common in today's world? You know, I am seeing them in certain people and not others. And some people really advocate against them. Some people are like, oh, I'm on prep. I don't really need to worry about this. You know, some people come in and they literally already know that 
80% of people already have herpes of some sort, but you know, only 20% of the people who have it actually so show symptoms. So they're just like, you know, kind of assuming, you know, oh, I'm already have it. What's the matter? Like, I don't really need to use protection or I'm going to be the recipient, um, like, you know, the bottom or the recipient of, um, in the sexual relationship. So like, there's really not that much risk or, you know, they're like, there's no symptoms, so I don't need to worry about it. Um, there's so many different excuses I've seen people give me. And what's so interesting is like a lot of these people are really well-educated and it's just like, well, if you're so well-educated and you know, like, you know, 50% of people have STIs show no symptoms, right? About half depends on the STI. Like for example, 43% is like with gonorrhea, like I'm just spot off facts, but I don't think they're not that useful, but like, we'll just say half. Highlighting. You're also just really highlighting how prevalent they are. Cause I think they're not, they're not talked about. I mean, I think what I see in my practice the most is, is herpes. That's what I'm seeing a lot of people call in with and come, come to me about, you know, the emotional component that comes with it. But I think the statistics kind of tell us it's out there in that we, we do need to use protection and that's another form of self-care. Oh yeah. And what's so interesting is different STIs affect different socioeconomics like classes differently. Um, it, it's, it's really interesting, um, just based on how these interact, but what you were saying with herpes, I'm sure any of these viral STIs have a really traumatic emotional component. And, you know, even if you were to get it from a, a single partner that you only met for one night, and then that toll that it takes on you, because now it's kind of the onus is on you to tell all of your future partners about this um, and feeling that rejection of when someone isn't interested in you solely because of an STI that you really had no real control over because sometimes protection doesn't even prevent them. Right. It it doesn't always protect them, and especially when we're using like household products. You know, I hear a lot of like using saran wrap as a dental dam, and I'm always saying, well, you know, <laughs> HIV can come through that. Yeah. So even having that feeling of rejection is interesting because a, a lot of people are actually struggling with some STI. And yeah. I, yeah, so I wonder, you know, working in an STI clinic, how do you direct people? to tell to tell their partners is this something that's kind of routine after they've been diagnosed so when it comes to the patients you know if they ask i kind of will talk to them about this but you know it's really hard to you know really get into the nitty-gritty and give them details and like you know talk about treatment plans right after you just gave them a lifelong diagnosis right now when you're talking about like a chlamydia or gonorrhea where it's you know just a quick poke and uh, one pill and then you're good in five days great but with the like long term it's like you kind of need follow-up and to really talk to them about it make sure that they're doing okay um with like my friends who have been confident enough to disclose a diagnosis of uh, herpes or HPV with me, I, you know, I think it's really important to acknowledge to them just how important it is that they were willing to tell you and not to like place any judgment and say like, you know, I'm so glad that you were able to talk to me about this. And I know this is something that must be really difficult for you. And I, I think, you know, giving them support should be number one, rather than, you know, coaching them on what to do next. 
um, because they must feel like I'm sure they feel so alone during these times. And that's the last thing you want some for one of your friends is to feel alone. Um, we kind of so, ostracize ourselves too. We put a lot of judgment and criticism on ourselves. You know, we really blame ourselves. There's a lot of internal side of of having STI. I mean, I think a lot of people come to me when they, you know, when they have it and they're feeling, okay, now um, I'm having really difficult dating or I'm not trying to date because I don't want that response from my partner. Once I tell them that I have this STI, and, you know, I think the challenge also comes to is when, when do I tell them? And sometimes, you know, we become sexual before we have told them and sometimes not even telling the partner. Yeah. I mean, I would always advocate for honesty being the best policy and, you know, being upfront with your partner because, you know, think of the partner on the partner's end, you know, if really things do get serious with them and you really do start to have a lot of feelings for them rather than just like a quick hookup. And that's why you weren't going to tell them. And you're like, Oh, I'm taking Valtrex. I'm not virally shedding the likelihood of them getting it. I'm using protection. They're like the, like the chance of them getting this STI is almost null and void. However, when you finally do tell them, you're kind of like, it's almost like you're giving them the feeling that you betrayed them, right? You betrayed their confidence and their trust. And I think, you know, that's why I'd say honesty is probably the best policy. And, you know, if they really truly love you as a person and like respect you, you know, it shouldn't be that big of an issue nowadays um, with all the research and the medication and like the, like the really limited chance of spreading this issue. Um, even for HPV, things that like don't have treatments yet, they're actually working on a vaccine that um, will actually not only prevent the spread and you getting um, HPV, but also treat uh, latent and pre-existing infections. I love that you just highlight just because you have this STI doesn't mean you can't be sexually active and that you, you know, you can't be in this relationship. Sometimes it can be a really strength building and like bonding building by, by sharing this with them, right? Anytime we share about who we are or like any challenge that we're working through or have overcome, you know, that can be really bonding experience and it doesn't have to stop any sexual experience, right? There are so many different ways to protect yourself. And if you're out there and you do have an STI, look into some of the protective measures, whether it's the dental dam, you know, condoms, uh, we have a lot of different ways to protect ourselves so that you can still have a really pleasurable and enjoyable sex life. Yeah, you, I think you should. I don't think it should really stop you, especially with how prevalent these are. Um, I know I mentioned HPV being super prevalent and like, so is herpes. It's like, you know, most people don't even get herpes like from sexual contact. The vast majority of herpes are from like, you know, kissing grandma or sharing a Pepsi with your friend. It's like the vast majority of these are spread orally just right. so the fact that people like shun other people for it is ridiculous because it's like if i was to serologically test the entire united states i'm sure 80 to 90 percent of us would come up positive <laughs> right you're right. so right it's so easy to pass through and that we should never put these judgments on somebody if they do tell us and like really trying yeah. to open our mind to it yeah. I love all the, I love all your stats and like everything that you said about any STIs. Is there anything you want to tell our listeners of how they can protect themselves or any advice of just what is really prevalent nowadays? You know, like you mentioned, um, health is like your, the onus is kind of on the patient, right? Cause 
as you know, a medical or to be doctor, um, I can't go around and be like, did you get your SDG check on the street? Like, I can't go around and ask all these people, like, did you get tested? Did you get tested? It's like, no, you need to come to me. I can't go around and, you know, ask 300 million people in the U.S. if they're getting tested or not. So the onus is kind of like on the person to honest, go to the doctor and be honest, like, hey, like I had anal intercourse as well, even as a female, like a female should still say, hey, I had anal intercourse. So like, I need to also have be swabbed in the anal canal because it can be harbored there. And, you know, STIs being um, harbored in your throat, that's actually really common because um, a lot of those won't be treated by, you know, the normal injection, like quick injection and the pill, like, you know, so you kind of need to also be honest and say like, yeah, yeah, I've been having unprotected oral sex as well. So you need to have your throat swab because we could treat you for a gonorrhea infection. And here you are with the same partner. And now you just reinfected your partner because you gave them oral sex. Uh, So true. So what are some of the legit websites people can go to and learn about STIs, symptoms like know if they think that they're experiencing one like what's a legit website i mean i would definitely just immediately trust the cdc um i know with covid and stuff though a lot of people are like always questioning that but when it comes to the stis they're really up to date um they're really constantly working on limiting these things. You can also go to your state's uh, health website, especially because they do um, anonymous free testing for STIs, um, where you're literally just assigned a number and you create a login based on the number they give you. It's free, you know, it's quick, it's easy. No one knows your name. As you were saying, there's a million seats in a line. So it's like, you you feel like, you know, I've hundreds of people have sat here before me nothing's new. Exactly. Thank you so much for all of your information and can't wait to have on, have you on next. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Hey everyone. Welcome back to Melinda's Mailbag. Today is all about STIs and I'm so excited to hear what questions my listeners had this week. So Shawnee Nick, my sidekick, start us off with the first question. I actually have a question of my own. So, did we is is STI different than STD? So STD is a sexually transmitted disease, and I feel like that word disease can be like life ending, very dooming, has like this negative connotation. And an STI or an ST, it doesn't have to have this negative vibe. Mm, okay. So STI is a sexually transmitted infection. And I think that's more fitting. So I'm really happy we are changing the name of it and calling it STIs now because a lot of them are these infections and can be treated. Good to know. I have genital herpes. I'm nervous to date. I'm afraid people are going to break up with me once they hear I have herpes. When is the best time to tell somebody I have genital herpes? I can imagine anybody with an STI has this question whether, you know, be something other than herpes. Right, and I want to point out, I think, too, because this is a question I get a lot in session, and so many people have an STI at some point in their life. And I think it's something that we really should talk about because it's something that many of us live with, especially herpes. You know, a lot of people have herpes around their lips. Some people have genital herpes, like they are different strains, right? But it is a very common 
infection that many people live with. So I'm so happy, listener, that you sent this question in. So when is an appropriate time to tell somebody, right? How, how do we know? Well, first off, you must tell your partner before you are sexually active because then that allows for the two of you or whoever to be protective. So if you are having a breakout using the protective measures and or if you're not or you're feeling that it's coming if your body's been under stress oftentimes you'll get that breakout so using the protective gear which would be a condom a dental dam to protect yourself and your partner but also this can be a very vulnerable and bonding moment between you and that person you would like to share this with right what do i always say we open up our vulnerability doors and that is a great way for us to strengthen that relationship now, i know a lot of people would be nervous to bring this up but the fact is you know the number of adults with these infections is pretty pretty high it is it's much more common than than we would think so I'd imagine this is a, a common concern with, you know, anybody that's got an infection. Do you know the number of adults that, you know, have some type of herpes or something that would be considered a STI? I'm glad you asked because it is an astonishingly high number. So according to the National Institutes of Health, because I do follow these stats, and according to them, 80% of adults have oral herpes and 90% have been exposed. So you're talking an immense amount of people, the majority. That's like almost everybody. Almost. So you're most likely gonna get a, me too? <laughs> <laughs> I've been, so question number two is, I've been having unprotected sex, but I have no symptoms. Am I in the clear? No, you are not. Because so many symptoms do not show up for months after. And you may not have any symptoms, but be living with an infection. So if you did have unprotected sex, go out and get tested because you may not have any of these symptoms for months and the condition may actually be worsening internally. And the earlier you learn that you have, you know, something in your body, the better you can protect yourself. Right. And any other partners you have in that time. All right, Sean, third question. All right. I get cold sores. Can I pass these on to others if I give somebody oral? Yes, you can. So if you have a cold sore on your lip, you can pass it on to somebody if you give them oral. So we have to be really, really careful. And even if you're not blistering, you can still pass this on. So if you are having a breakout, go out to your doctor and get the medications because it can also be very painful. So go out and get the medication, but in the meantime, give oral only with protection. So if you're using a condom or a dental dam. There's always a possibility of those them transmitting it if there isn't proper protection used. No, if you're not having a breakout at all, you're okay. But if you are having a breakout, even if you're not having the blisters, you can still spread it. Gotcha. So for somebody that's not familiar, what would be a symptom? So what are some of the warning signs, right? When we're going to start shedding the virus, the person will start to have a tingling sensation around their lips or it will be itchy. This is your first warning sign to go to the doctor and get the medication immediately. So this medication, does it prevent the transmission or does it kind of low, like lessen the symptoms? What's this medication doing? So the medication is not going to protect you, right? The medication is only going to help hopefully fight that virus, but no, you still have to use 
protection. That's a really good point, Chuck. Gotcha. And, and kind of following up with what you mentioned earlier, it's a lot of times these are stress-induced. Yes. So a lot of times we will definitely see a breakout happening when we're under immense amount of stress from work or school. We will see that. Thank you so much for tuning in to Melinda in Miami. It's been so great hearing from all of you. Thank you for sending in your questions. And remember, the best way to keep yourself safe is to have regular STI testing, barrier methods, and talking to your partner and asking, asking them if they have an STI. Let's start this communication. I can't wait to see you all next week. Stay tuned for another new episode. Go out and have a